everyone. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and we are back at the Boulder Gruppetto for another group show after last week's ultra deep dive into all things Shimano Di2 with Terry Seidler of Bittershifting.com. Joining me today at the shop is Ace Mechanic, Zach Edwards. Hi, Zach. Hello. We also have Cycling Tips Editor-in-Chief, Kaylee Fretz. Hi, Kaylee. Hello. And tagging in for Dave is tech editor Ronan McLaughlin, all the way from Northern Ireland. Hi, Ronan. Hello. Good to be back. How's everybody doing today? I just found out that uh, there's a Vela Club member out there who is a Wolves fan, so I'm not alone, and I'm very excited about that. Are we, are we really going to start another podcast talking about <laughs> football? Yes, this is football tips now. If you listen to today's, mm. uh, this week's regular episode, we spent at least five to ten minutes uh, mostly making fun of Ronan for liking Manchester United. So I feel like that's how we should start every episode from now on. Hmm. Well, just before we started recording, I revealed to Zach that I don't drink coffee, uh, and he apparently has issues trusting me now. <laughs> I mean, this is very <laughs> highly, highly questionable. Highly questionable. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm questioning my life decisions right now too, because if there was ever a day or a week, I should say, where I could use some coffee, it, today would definitely apply. Let's just say I'm very much looking forward to the fact that the kiddo is starting school this week. I'm ready. And I've been pounding the coffee. I was had two 4:30 a.m. Uh, mornings this weekend. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, because Ruth did lead boat. Ooh. Yeah, it's way too early to get up for a bike race. I mean, it could be worse. You could have done lead boat. Oh yeah, but. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that would be way worse. If anyone, if anyone hasn't seen uh, Ruth's Instagram post from over the weekend, um, she looked tired, as you would expect after doing lead boat. It's a lot of bike racing. That's a lot of bike racing. Would you say, Zach, it was like 15 hours of bike racing in two days or something? Yep. Too many. It's too many. Too many. Mm. Well, anyway... We don't have a ton of tech news to discuss on today's episode, although we do have a couple of Giant-related releases, namely some fancy new KDEX wheels and a brand new Giant Propel aero road bike. We'll also chat a bit about how Wahoo went so wrong with its new Speedplay redo. Um, we'll also pay a short little tribute to uh, legendary bike designer Mike Burrows. And then, of course, we will finish up the episode with a, uh, with a round of Ask a Mechanic. Ronan, I hope you're ready, because we're about to get into it. Oh, I have loads of questions. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. I was texting Zach this morning. Can I can I ask my question in public? Ronan was also texting me, <laughs> asking questions. How about that? We we can go ahead, we can go ahead and add those in add those into the pile later. All right. Well, let let's get into the news. So, almost five years to the day after the introduction of the previous generation Propel Aero Road Bike Giant has announced a new version. Uh, that has gone live today, I believe. As you'd expect, it's supposedly more aerodynamically efficient than the old Propel to the tune of 6.1 watts saved if you're going 40k an hour. Uh, it's also almost 330 grams lighter than the previous version when you take the new cockpit into account. It's almost 10% stiffer in terms of bench tests, according to Giant, and the rear end is nearly twice as flexible over bumps. Uh, it's also supposed to be a lot easier to work on with way better internal cable routing. There's some flexibility in terms of the handlebar selection, maybe some stem choice too. And at least to my eye, it certainly looks a lot better. Uh, so basically what we have is a bike that's a little bit more aero than the old version, but seemingly a lot more usable day to day. So people are more inclined to reach for the full aero bike instead of grabbing, instead of grabbing a semi-aero one. What do we does think about this? Does it have V-brakes? It does not have V-brakes. <laughs> it does then not. I, then I don't care. I want to go back to my old V-brakes and I love them. Third. Amazing. <laughs> Your fire worked. For those who have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, yeah, the first one had V-brakes. <laughs> so they were like tiny and 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 actually they worked okay. Uh, no, by well, okay, by by it's a relative. Kind of, yes, by early aero bike attempts at brakes standards. That is a very, very well. low bar, Kaylee. Is, They're significantly I mean, better than the Venge. Hmm. They were way better than the Venge. They were way better than the uh, Madone one that was like under the chain stays oh, the flaps. for a while. And then there was the flappy one. And there was some just some fascinating things that happened. And to be honest, I, it, was, it was the one I hated the least, maybe just because I'd spent a lot of time as a youth adjusting V-brakes <laughs> for mountain bikes. <laughs> and so I kind of knew how to do it. But I, I thought that they were fine. I thought they were great. And frankly, take me back. Hmm. Well, Kelly, if I ever have an opportunity to 
replace your trusty mosaic with a first generation giant propel with rim brakes, I will do so without your knowledge, it. of course. That'd be fantastic. Uh, Ronan, you you broke the original story on this when when uh, when that bike first showed up under its team riders at the tour. Uh, you get a nice little first look. Uh, what do you think of this bike? Uh, yeah, I think we spotted it. Tony Martin had sort of posted it accidentally on purpose earlier, earlier uh, on, prior yeah. to that. And then uh, we got a closer look at it at the tour. But of course, Giant wouldn't really give us any details on it at the tour, and and the team weren't prepared to share any details either. So. Started looking at it at the time, I thought maybe Giant had, you know, taken a step back from a dedicated aero bike and gone the sort of all-rounder direction with the Propel. So just what you've said just there now is the first official details I've heard about the Propel. So I'm sort of, just to, just to double check, they're saying this bike is faster than the previous dedicated aero bike and also lighter and, but it's still a dedicated aero bike. Is that right? Correct. Um, although I will point out that um, that some of the aero claims are a little bit confusing because um, what Giant is comparing to with that figure with that six point watt saved thing is a new twenty twenty three Propel Advanced SL zero model complete bike as compared to the previous generation complete bike, uh, which also means that both bikes had different group sets and different wheels. Like the new bike was tested with those new KDX 50 Ultras, whereas the old one had uh, the KDX 6542s on there. Uh, they're also different tires. And the new bike also comes with these kind of oval, oval profile KDX race arrow clinchers on there, which are supposedly more arrow in and of themselves. So uh, I asked Giant specifically if they had a direct apples to apples comparison data uh, looking at the new Propel versus the old, and they did not have that available to provide to me. So it's a little unclear, as far as the frame itself, what the actual difference is. All they're saying now is the complete bike is more aero than the old one. So whether that's frame or cockpit or wheels or tires or some combination therein, it's a little fuzzy. I'm just glad that you said report to me because um, they definitely have it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> just not sharing. <laughs> I would have to imagine. I mean, like, there's no way that they didn't just test the frames back to back like that. That would be that would be silly. I mean, but even we don't if have it's it. not even if it's not more aero. Let's say it's equally as aero as the old one. It still sounds like a way better bike. Like it's more compliant. It's lighter. It's way lighter. Like the cockpit looks significantly better than the like pointy stem on the last one, and you can like the cable routing looks actually not terrible. Um, I, I so do I would like, say it's a better bike, even if it's not necessarily faster. I would agree. So I have a test sample here. I unfortunately haven't had a chance to ride it yet, but I, I do like this trend that full aero bikes are getting more, I guess, more usable overall and getting a little less, uh, a little less cumbersome to like work on and to just ride in general. That seems like it, it seems like a good positive trend. I think. I mean, I'm all for the aero bike comeback. Did they great. ever go away? Yeah, they kind of they did go away for a wee while. Everyone was trying to do the like everything do like do it all aero light red bike, and now That's like true. the pure aero red That's bike true. is coming back. Like, where's the Venge, for example? I know. I'm sure they're working on it. They're they're getting easier to live with. I think is the 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 key thing here. That you know the the that new Propel. The you know the first thing that struck us about it was just you know how much better it looked, but then also how much easier it seems to be to not only work on, but just live with on a day-to-day basis, I think. So, you know, regardless of whether it's faster or not, um, to me, it's, I think it's the first Propel I actually looked at and said, there's a bike I wouldn't mind having myself. Ronan, as our chief uh, ridiculous UCI rules correspondent, the 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 changes to some of the frame design stuff, that, that applies beyond TT bikes, right? That applies down the chain? Because given that, I'm... Well, I'm kind of expecting bikes to go in the other direction toward like looks kind of like a TT bike. I mean, maybe that's what the new Venge will be or something like that. But if if am I correct in, in thinking that the 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 basically that they can they can make yeah. a they can make a frame more arrow now than they could 18 months ago, and that you would think would mean that that brands are going to hop on at some point. Granted, given production cycles, it's probably coming in the next year or so. Uh, but it feels to me like it's going to go boop back straight in the other direction because because you'll be able to find real gains in frame shape again, which you haven't been able to do for a while. I mean, the I feel like 
the bikes being as aero as possible hasn't ever really been the issue other than being raced. Like the problem is them being also heavy. Like most of the riders were choosing the the more all around bike because the aero bike bike was eight and a half kilos, even with race wheels and everything. And like at a world tour level, none of those dudes want to ride an eight and a half kilo bike. So they were choosing the all rounder. So I think if you can make a bike super aero, but then also light, I think that's that's where it's going. And also, like, if you have tire clearance and compliance built in, great. But- yeah, so so speaking of weight, I will say that the sample I have, granted, it's a small size sample, so roughly like a 52 or so, um, but with a new Dura-Ace Di2 12-speed group set with the power meter uh, and those new Kdex Ultra 50 mil deep wheels and clinchers uh, with two bottle cages also, the bike is just, just barely over 6.8 kilos. It's like 6.86 or so without pedals. That's pretty good. Uh before before we go into that, because that, that was one of the key sort of, I think I'd asked you like three or four times already, James, do we know the weight yet? Do we know the weight yet? And you hadn't had your test bike yet and we hadn't had the, the press details sent over. So excited to hear 6.8. Uh, but go back to your question, Kaylee. Right, the the rules, the relaxed rules now do also apply to road bikes and specifically what they, they sort of have, the UCI have changed, which road bike manufacturers might be interested in is the aspect ratio of the tubes but then also, you know, the so-called compensation triangles that they can now add between the seat tube and the top tube. Um, but the big difference that most brands seem to be going with so far since those relaxed regulations is the sort of deeper head tube and taller bottom brackets. Um, and really, it's it's only really that deeper head tube that Giant seems to have gone with with the new Propel. You know, if you look at the seat tube and... Uh, the those those junctions between top tube and seat tube and the even the seat stays, they don't really seem to have gone all out with the new regulations. Um, uh, certainly not in the same way that Cervelo have if, done. With if anything, they've gone in the opposite direction. Yes, which sort of goes back to my you know my first point on the new Propel was just that I'm surprised they're still sort of putting this out here as a dedicated aerobag. I, I really expected this to be one of the new all rounders, and even the rumors. You know, if you look through the forums and Speaking with the local giant theaters and that, you know, the 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 rumors that were flying about when the pictures of the new propel surfaced that this was going to be the death of the TCR, the TCR was going to disappear and the propel was just going to become the new race bike. Uh, but based on what I've just heard there now, it doesn't, you know, it, it really doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Although I don't think I ever believed it anyway, but, um, you know, it, it just... It, it seems much more like an all-rounder to me than a, than an aero bike. And as you said, aero claims are a little bit confusing as they often are. So maybe we should be taking those with a pinch of salt as well. But uh, yeah, still 6.8 for what they're saying is a dedicated aero bike is, um, yeah, it's a sign of the times, isn't it really? Pretty, like I said, that's a pretty solid figure. Granted with pedals and with pedals and a computer and that sort of thing, it'll, it'll go closer to, um, you know, a little over seven kilos, depending on what you're sticking on there. But still, for a full aero bike, that's pretty impressive considering we've seen an awful lot of full aero bikes with, you know, disc brakes and that sort of thing that are like eight kilos. Um, so to, to be closer to seven is definitely a huge improvement. I think it, that'll that'll remove a lot of the impediment that a lot of people feel toward having a full aero bike. You mentioned the bottle cages also. Are they specific to the frame? We kind of that was one of the questions we had come up with the tour. Sort of. So there there are profiled bottle cages that like you know kind of like seamlessly mesh with the with the down tube and the seat tube. Um, again, that that's another thing where it's a little bit unclear how much that plays into the the, the aero claims that Giants making. Um, the pictures that they supplied of the bike in the wind tunnel and with their little like mechanized mannequin thing. It only shows one bottle cage on the down tube, so it's, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how all that all all that works out. Um, but just like other bikes that have sort of a like a pseudo dedicated bottle cage setup, like a like the BMC Time Machine, for example, that sort of thing, um, there are dedicated bottle cages for this bike. But you can just go ahead and put on regular ones too. So like this, the spacing is the same, and the locations are normal and all that stuff. Like it, it would be insane for a company to use something other than standard bottle cage spacing. To be honest, I'm a little bit surprised that no one has bothered to like break that rule, considering that companies don't seem to have any qualms breaking every other rule of standardization. So that seems like the last bastion. <laughs> who knows? I shouldn't be giving people well, suggestions. If it happens within the next year, we know we know who to blame. 
that would be me. That would be me. Sorry for putting the ideas in, in people's heads. Anyway, uh, yeah, so yeah, as usual, Giant's going to have a whole bunch of different models for this thing. There's going to be three different frames. Uh, the top end one is going to be the one that has the integrated seat mast and is the lightest one, the, you know, the fanciest carbon fiber, all other stuff. The other two have uh, more conventional telescoping seat posts that still use the same general frame shape. Uh, of course, they'll be a little bit heavier and all that stuff. Um, but uh, a whole, whole bunch of different builds. Uh, I don't remember the pricing off the top of my head, but it, this is giant that we're talking about, so they're not outrageous, relatively speaking. Um, but uh, those bikes should be hitting shelves pretty soon, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, and they, they get, like I said, it looks looks pretty good, and uh, I think they, I, I dare say, they'll probably do well on this one. And again, if even if only for the fact that it looks a lot better than the old one, then yeah, I, I dare say we'll see a bunch of propels on the road pretty soon. The stem is still inch and a quarter, uh, which is kind of giant's more more oversized setup. However, there is also now a D-shaped steer tube uh, to make accommodation for the new cable routing, um, and the stem is profiled to suit to is profiled to match that D-shaped steer. So officially, giant saying that they are only um, you know a hundred percent condoning the use of their own stem. Uh, something else might work. Uh, but as far as I know right now, there's no like supplemental little aluminum wedge or something to fill in the space. So that's a little bit unclear, but th that's not entirely uncommon these days. Like pretty much to have a, a dedicated stem going along with the rest of the frame. Like I feel like, especially for aero bikes, that be, that's becoming more common than not, I think. I just, I just meant that it looks, it looks fantastic and it's adjustable, which, you know, it, bar angle i mean is it adjustable it's not an integrated bar stem which it is not and you can you can actually put on you can actually put on any 318 round bar you want to so like it, ideally you would have a bar on there that runs internal cable routing that that still has a port on the back of the bars for the for the lines that come out um but aside from that if you wanted to run a bar with external routing or i guess under under tape routing that doesn't run through the bar anyway you could do that it wouldn't be quite as clean but the cables would still enter in the frame at the same spot and they would still kind of sit in this channel underneath the stem. So it's, it's doable. So if you don't like the cut, if you don't like the bar bend that that bike comes with, you've got plenty of options. So nice to have some flexibility. All right. Well, going along with that new propel are some fancy new wheels from Giant's premium component sub-brand Kadex. So the new Kadex 50 Ultra Disc wheels are, as the name suggests, 50 mil deep with a blunt nose profile. It's supposedly really stable in crosswinds, a tubeless compatible hookless rim bed. It's, it is, uh, it's 22.4 mils wide internally, external width is 30 millimeters. So, you know, using that whole rule of 105 thing, it's kind of made for tires that are like 25, 28 mils, something like that. Uh, Giant is once again using its now trademark carbon fiber spokes, although now they are, get this, they're a super arrow, that'd be capital S, capital A spokes, with an even more aggressive bladed profile than other KDX wheels. I uh, also have new aero profile hubs front and rear with hybrid ceramic bearing stock and a DT Swiss star ratchet style rear hub internals. Although the hub internals actually go down in tooth count in the ratchets, uh, down to 40 teeth for decreased drag. Uh, claim weight, it's pretty light, 1349 grams for the set. Uh, also really expensive at like 3,500 US, so ouch. Um, but I've got a set of those wheels on my Propel test bike. And again, I haven't had a chance to ride them yet, but uh, having ridden a, several other sets of Kadex wheels with carbon fiber spokes, and I have to say I've been really pretty impressed by them. But I mean, realistically, though, as good as the wheels seem to be, and especially given the price that they're trying to sell these things at, what I wonder is how long do we think Kadex is going to have to bang on the marketing drum here before it's really considered to be a legitimate aftermarket wheel brand? Because like we've seen this before, like Bontrager, Roval, you name it. Um, you know, Kadex is has been in the habit of showcasing those wheels on other brands of bikes like uh in that article that you wrote ronan that the wheels were shown on a factor um i don't know zach have you seen anybody come through here with kdx wheels on a non-giant bike mm, don't think so only on giants that's not, not what they want to hear <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean how many revolves do you see on non-specialized or how many bond trackers yeah, do you right. see on non-tracks right? you, you, maybe you'll see it every once in a while because they've been around for a very long time and I don't know, people like get a new frame and hang on to the parts and the wheels. But like that's that's for for example, I was running Revol wheels on a non-specialized frame for a while, and that was why. I don't know, something deep down inside me, I think, would would stop me from buying those wheels for for the for what would feel to me like the wrong bike. You know? Like uh, and I'm sure that's not what the marketing people want to hear, but that's the way I feel. I mean, they are trying. 
But yeah, yeah for thirty five hundred dollars US, that does seem like a very big uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting because like I would say, like Revolves or Bontrager, even I mean, I've not seen a whole lot of KDEX, but like the Revolve and Bontrager stuff is all really really good. Like price points, weight wise, hub internals, like kind of ticks all the boxes, and like I would say just as good or if not better than some of the other aftermarket wheel options out there. But you still don't see very many people putting Revolves on a Trek or on something other than a Specialized, right? Like it's a really, really good option, but they're just, it's not, yeah, people don't want to do that for right. whatever reason. It just doesn't quite feel right. Um, so I'm trying to remember, have any of the four of us here ridden KDEX wheels aside from me? Just sound like a I, test ride. I read the rear KDEX wheel up and down a hill for the last 10 laps <laughs> of something I was doing, but other than that. <laughs> no. That's right, I forgot about that. <laughs> but other than that, no. I've ridden, uh, they weren't technically KDEX. They were giant team wheels. It was like when they had their own wheels that were not branded as KDEX yet, right. but they weren't for sale by but, giant. <laughs> but I guess the difference with the KDEX wheels is the whole carbon fiber spoke thing, which does to me make the wheels, at, at least again, to, in my opinion, they, they do feel legitimately different in the sense that they are very notably to me anyway, stiffer. Than, I mean, that's like the whole, that are out there. like the marketing that's always been behind lightweight is like they're, you feel it when you ride it, right? As it's like an insanely stiff wheel. Yeah, and and having ridden lightweights, I will say that they that that increased stiffness is noticeable. I mean, unfortunately, with lightweights, there are other there are other things that would still prompt me to choose something else. Yeah, not, not, I mean, even, not even regarding the six thousand dollar price tag, but right. Um, but like, I don't personally is a stiffer wheel better. I don't know. That's a good question, and I don't right. know. I don't know if that if we have come to a, like a firm would, conclusion on that. I would that. say no. I mean, like it feels it's, like, it's like the the argument for like high tire pressure on a road bike, right? Right, like you stand up out of the saddle with 120 psi on your tires, and it feels fast, but it's not actually fast. Like I think it's the same with wheels. Like you want some compliance built in to like let's say you're dive bombing a corner in a crit, so that the like you hit the pothole that you don't like skitter about. Like it's the same. I would think it's the same thing, right? Or even just for like handling characteristics, because I've always found that a bike that is a little bit softer, like not not to the point of being noodly, but a little bit softer. I found actually they they often handle better because they seem to have better traction. Yeah. Um I mean for it's I would say it's for sure even more noticeable on the off-road side. Oh definitely. That's not really the argument here, but I would say like on the road, I think it's the same, just slightly different. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't buy these wheels just because they're like so stiff. Like it's not comfortable on a long ride. Maybe it feels good accelerating, but other than that, like how often are you just like out of the saddle sprinting all the time? Right. But it might be sort of like more of a, a go fast, pure climber wheel or like pure sprinter wheel sort of thing. Yeah. Either way. It's interesting. It, it is interesting. I, <clears throat> I do like seeing how KDEX is kind of pushing the envelope in that front. Uh, it does make them a little bit different. But again, whether different is better, that's eh, up for debate. But they do ride differently for sure. So Either way, another fun one to keep an eye on as we move forward because KDEX is clearly keeping their foot on the gas here. So in addition to all these carbon-spoked wheels that they've been introducing, they they did uh, introduce that insane tri-frame set uh, a few months ago. And I can't help but wonder if that KDEX name is going to make its way across more stuff, including more frames. But yeah, we'll see. All right. Next up on the news list, speed play. Wah, wah. <laughs> So news broke in late 2019 that Wahoo Fitness had bought Speedplay, and it was about a year and a half until the company finally announced a revamped pedal lineup that included, among other things, power meter pedals with dual-sided measurement, which is something that Speedplay had not managed to do for the entirety of their existence under independent ownership. Um, Ronan, I think it's safe to say that you are probably the most up-to-date on these things. What was the promise here with the redesigned pedal line? Um... Basically, there was a you know we all we all know people that love or hate speed play for a variety of different reasons. Uh, I think I'm talking to three haters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say well, that I'm a hater, but they're not my favorite. Well, they were they were my favorite pedals for a long time. Um, they're I, just I, not I really for me. Like, yeah, well, and and not really for the pedals, so to speak. But I think it was more like the issue of riding and gravel and stuff that didn't work for you guys, which I don't do a whole lot of. So or like work for me. walking in grass or looking at them sideways or <laughs> whatever. Like the bear, bearings <laughs> going to crap. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there was there was a couple of other sort of potential issues with them. Uh, as Zach just mentioned there, the, the bearings tended to need a lot of attention on them. They needed uh, service quite, quite a lot, uh, depending on where you rode. Uh, the pedal bodies just aware, but the cleats just aware, and Wahoo set about sort of addressing a few of those issues. And they added a new uh, sort of wear protector uh, ring to the pedal body. They changed the bearings to non to, to these new bearings that they're using that apparently required no servicing, um, so much so that Wahoo actually removed the grease port that used to be on the side of the Speedplay version of those pedals. Uh, they kept the cleats pretty much the same, uh, and they rolled out a new range of pedals, including the Nanos, the Zeros, which has a stainless steel spindle, and the Comps initially, which was sort of the more budget-friendly version of the Wahoo Speedplay pedals. And then fast forward to February or March of this year, they released the Powerlink Zero, which is the first Speedplay-based power meter pedal to make it to market. There was a couple of other brands that tried to either use Speedplay cleats or Speedplay pedals or something to make Speedplay power meters, but Wahoo got there uh, with their new Wahoo Powerlink Zero power meter pedals. And then I spent quite a lot of time either either side of a broken leg riding what's the new Wahoo range of power meter, Wahoo range of pedals, both standard and power meters. Right. So the good news is that the power meter pedals in particular, as far as you can tell, they did seem to produce pretty pretty decent, accurate numbers. Um, and you know they, they basically did what they were supposed to do. And you still have all sorts of options with the cleats, although they are definitely kind of fiddly to set up. Lots of individual little pieces. Um, well, the whole marketing spiel behind speed plays is that they're lower stack height. The power pedals are very, very tall. So kind I'm of like there. Don't worry get about rid it. of that. And it's uh-huh. just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hater. I'm Zach place, is definitely so. in the hater column. No but, question. Like, I'm Double not going to bounce around it like Kaylee here. <laughs> but but Ronan, Ronan, in your in your what year plus now of testing, basically the entire range of the new Wahoo owned Speedplay pedals, uh, you did run into one major issue consistently, like across every pedal, though, right? What was that? Yes, uh, the the new Wahoo Speedplay pedals that I used, every single pair of them, which is five pairs uh, and counting, five pairs at the moment have uh, developed this lateral play issue where basically it can be either drive side or non drive seems to be non-discriminant in which side of the, the bike that that fails. But uh, they, they developed this play sort of where the, the pedal actually sort of, if you just grab it in your hand, there's a video on the review of these pedals that I have on the website at the moment. And you can basically just shimmy them you know, back and forth or running out or whatever direction you want to explain it. But uh, it's quite annoying when you ride uh, Wahoo have told me that it's not a safety concern, that they have fixed it, um, that they were aware of it with the initial batch of pedals and it's been fixed going forward. They also told me that there's just a 1% failure rate and that anybody who has the issue should contact their uh, customer support team directly. Um, but in my experience, 100% of the pedals that I tried all broke, including... If, I would need to look at the article again now, but uh, or my notes even, but two or three pairs of them broke on the very first ride, which was... Are we sure this isn't a design feature for more float? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Wahoo version of time pedals? Yeah. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's what they should have gone with. <laughs> Seems like a good spin on it. <laughs> well, well, Ronan, clearly, I mean, if this is a 1% failure rate, what this means is that there are 495 other Wahoo Speedlight pedal users who have had no issues whatsoever. Well, I guess it's like anything. You don't really hear from the people who've had a good experience, but if you search online, there's a lot of people who have had a similar experience to what I had. And the supposedly fixed ones still developed the play, right? Yes. Um, there was a bit of confusion in that Wahoo weren't certain exactly you know, which replacement pedals they had sent me. And perhaps, uh, you know, the f- at least with the first replacement pair, perhaps the second pair were from the initial batch that had the issue, but you know we're we're another two or three pairs of pedals further down the road here, and uh, each each of those pedals also developed the same sort of lateral play issue. So yeah, there there's there's also reports of you know customers who have had their pedals replaced as least recently as a week or two ago and have developed the same issue on on the first ride again. So it is you know it, it's a 
it, it's a, I think it's a major issue with the new pedal design. It seems to be stemming from the new needle bearings that they've used inside the inside the pedals. They, they, you know, they, they, they replaced those bearings with the intention of eliminating the sort of concern that some users had around having to grease and service the pedals quite often. Um, but there seems to be some sort of, whether it's in tolerances or whether it's in the bearings themselves, can't handle the sort of forces, you know, from from a from from pedaling. I'm not sure, but uh, and so you speed, put out um, too many watts. Um, <laughs> I don't, no, uh, I don't. I don't think that was the issue, uh, unfortunately. But but yeah, it's it 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 seems to be that it's it's something that they're they're struggling to get to the bottom of. Uh, they w- they wouldn't really give me too too many details on what exactly the issue is, or even what the fix they implemented. Yeah, my experience so far has been for me for myself as a speedplay fan. Uh, it's been you know it's been devastating almost. But um, and you know that actually the Paradigm Zero pedals, the new power meter, they lasted by far the longest. Uh, so I started back riding after uh, you know recovered from the broken leg. I think I got back on the bike around April thirtieth, and. You know, bearing in mind that some of these pedals broke on the very first ride, it wasn't until you know mid to late July, I think, before the Paralink Zeros uh, developed the issue. Now, Wahoo were adamant that I was the first to report the issue with the Paralink Zeros. I don't believe that is the case, uh, <laughs> but uh, they they did last the longest. I you know I would expect a parameter pedal to last more than two and a half months. So if I'm if I'm being honest. I mean, there's clearly some kind of of just deep issue that they need to fix, right? They just need to fix that. That's like that's And to their credit, it sounds like they've been taking care of people that are having the issue. And, you know, sometimes it's tough for us to tell how a regular consumer would be treated in in the instance of a failure, right? Because when we send a message, we send it with the weight of a cycling tips review behind it. Uh, and so we tend to get taken care of relatively quickly, but it does, to Wahoo's credit, sound like, you know, we've heard from lots of people since you put your review up, Ronan, sound like they're taking care of folks, which is good. But if they're just sending out pedals that, that happens again, like they're not. Yeah. If, like how, what, how many pedals do you get before you're like, I'm just going to try something else? There, there may be a few extra people that they have to take care of since that review, because uh, <laughs> a few people had commented that. They read the review and then found the issue with their pedals. Hadn't noticed it previously. Uh, but there is also definitely Wahoo Speedplay customers who are sort of holding on to their pedals until they're sure a fix has been implemented. And there could then be a rush on warranty claims with you know everybody who's holding on to the pedals that they have at the moment waiting waiting to return them in sort of one go once, once we get there all clear that this has been fixed, which I'm sure eventually it will be. So, so Ronan, I'm I'm curious. Um, I don't think any of us have spoken to Wahoo since that review went live. But uh, are you going to continue to stay in touch with Wahoo and hopefully get some sort of update uh, on what's happening with these things? Yeah, well, surely. And you know, Wahoo have actually sent a replacement pair of the Paralink Zeros, which I'm riding at the moment. Um, in fact, I'm, I might just have to disappear for a few days and ride my bike lows to see if I can. Uh, find an issue with 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 these new pedals uh perfect excuse there just to go and do a bit of bike riding but yeah i'm I'm still riding wahoo speedplay and still in contact with wahoo so you know if if i get to the point where i believe the issue has been resolved i'll have no problem in sort of saying that like so hmm. all so right well hopefully space yeah, and and hopefully if that fix does come hopefully that will also come with a very detailed explanation on why with the why the earlier ones were not holding out very well. So sorry, Wahoo, wish we had better things to say, but in this case, we do not. I think it's, I don't know. It's, it's not often these days that we actually do sort of run across stuff that, that fails. Like it's, it's relatively rare to the point where like we actually get accused of hiding stuff and not being honest with the, with the audience and readers and things like that, because you know, maybe maybe things did fail for other people and didn't fail for us or whatever. <laughs> Specialized. It, 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 yeah. Uh, no, it's just like it. Uh, like it's kind of. It's just. It's not like we take any pleasure in in telling people about things that break. I, I think, in particular, in this instance, it's been it's been interesting for me to watch Ronan go through this because 
when Ronan is genuinely a diehard Speedplay fan. Uh, and like absolutely it's it's kind of like broken your heart to go through this whole thing and i'm sure i'm sure wahoo is not stoked uh that it, things have ended up this way but i mean from from, from my perspective like kind of couldn't couldn't the bad news couldn't have come from a better person right because you came in as a as a true believer and you really would like to continue to be i mean at the end of the day it's just going to make for a better product whether it's like a quick fix that they do to it or a complete redesign of the bearings like it's going to make for a better product at the end of the day it's just the waiting game to get there and i think it is probably worth saying also that the new wahoo speed place do seem to be you know the the improvements that they or the updates that they've made do seem to you know they add potential to the pedal uh once they've addressed this sort of lateral play issue i think the as you said zach they'll it'll make for a better product but the 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 basis for that better product is already at a better starting point, I think, than than when Wahoo than the old took ones. it up from Speedplay yeah, two years right. ago. So. Well, I will say that no one can accuse Ronan of not being thorough with this review. So <laughs> five, five sets of pedals, more than a year of, of test time, lots and lots of back and forth with Wahoo. So hopefully this does yield some better pedals because you know if I think if Wahoo really can manage to fix a lot of the issues that the original Speedplay pedals had, and if they can really tackle this reliability thing, then I think they're really going to have something. But in the meantime, bit of, bit, bit of waiting here. So we'll we'll continue to stay on this. So stay tuned for more, hopefully, and hopefully we'll have some good news to report in the months to come. Well, on to a little bit of bad news, unfortunately. So on an extremely sad note... Uh, we unfortunately have to report on the passing of legendary British bike designer Mike Burroughs. So Mike Burroughs might not be a name that a lot of modern cyclists recognize, but he's the person who's behind uh, legendary machines that you ha- probably have seen before, like the Lotus 108 um, the, and the original Giant MCR and Giant TCR. Um, in fact, you actually could probably single-handedly credit him with uh, with being responsible for nearly every bike today having a sloping top tube. Like he was the guy who pioneered that because, you know, he thought that all this compliance comes from the seat posts. So why not expose more of it? And why not just drop the top tube so you have more seat posts sticking out? Like that was his thing. Um, he was also an early, uh, he was also a very early pioneer for things like single sided forks and carbon spoke wheels, like, like that original giant MCR. Uh, and it's no surprise that KDX is still continuing to fly that flag now. Uh, and actually one could only really imagine how much more he could have contributed to the cycling industry had his innovative ideas not been basically just completely stifled by the UCI restrictions. Um, so it's, unfortunately this is one of those situations where we just have to wonder what could have been i believe he was i think 79 when he passed away just the other day um so stay tuned for a more thorough written tribute to mike burroughs on the site Uh, and i would say that all of us at cycling tips would like to offer our condolences to mike's friends and families so rest in peace mike we'll miss you all right well that'll do it for the news for this week's nerd alert episode which means it's time for Ask a Mechanic. Derailers, bearings, disc brakes, and rim brakes, sealants and chain loops, ask a mechanic. All right. As usual, our questions for Ask a Mechanic come almost exclusively from our Velo Club members. The first one comes from Velo Club member Peter Pinkowski, who has asked us a couple of questions in the past. Peter says that he's damaged the threads for the disc brake caliper on a carbon fiber fork. It holds the brake fine for now, but it will certainly fail during the next disassembly or maybe the one after. He said he believes this happened when over-tightening one of the mounting bolts. Is this something that he can save with a helicoil or is he looking at a new fork? He says he has no experience with helicoil, so so he's curious to hear some opinions first. Zach, I'm going to look at you for this one first. What do you think? I mean, it's really hard to say without seeing it. I'd say like, if it's just the first couple threads, like I've seen that quite a lot where people use bolts that aren't long enough and then it just like pops the first two threads out or something. And that you can usually clean up and then use a prop, like the actual length bolt that you're supposed to use and that's fine. But in terms of using a healer coil, I mean, if there's enough material like that you're putting the healer coil into, like it's an aluminum there and I don't know why it wouldn't work. Um, I mean, it's like if the fork is trash, you might as well at least try before buying a new fork. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, it's just really hard to say without seeing it in person. True. Yep. Um, one thing about, uh, this sort of thing, uh, the fact that he has kind of damaged the threads on this thing to begin with suggests that you're probably over tightening these, those bolts. 
I actually don't know off the top of my head what the torque spec is for, for caliper bolts, but I don't think it's that high because they really don't need to be that tight. Am I correct, Zach? Yeah, but I mean, I've also seen some that are like fully seized and really tight that also didn't strip out. So I'd, it'd be interesting to see how it stripped out. Like whether, just like, I have a hard time believing that it just pulled all of the threads out. And then, because usually you have like a centimeter plus of bolt in the fork. I mean, it, it does seem to be, it does seem to be a little bit more common now than it used to be because um, when things changed from post mount to flat mount, those threads did get smaller. I would say that though, like, I remember it happening like when disc brakes first started coming on mountain bikes happened pretty regularly because like the, I don't know if the material was just a bit softer that they were using at the time or whatever, but I feel like I remember like when the post mount started on mountain bikes, I remember this happening fairly regularly. Like I remember people like screwing their bolts into the fork with aluminum foil to like take up the gap that is now missing and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard of that. Great. Wow. <laughs> Would not recommend, but I, I like <laughs> thinking and I remember this happening like however long that was ago, 15 years ago. Hmm. That sounds yeah. sketchy. Uh, well, Peter, I would say <laughs> that you need to get you need to get that fork to a very competent bike shop, very competent mechanic, and have them look at it. Um, it, it, may very, it may very well be that no mechanic is is willing to touch that just for liability reasons. It's not really sure, um, but I would definitely have someone take a look at it for a professional opinion um, because that is something that could end up okay, but could very much not end up okay too. So be careful with that one. Uh, next question comes from Moritz Schaffer. Sticky piston alert. He says his front caliper and rotor started making noise on his ride the other day. And after, after fiddling around with it, he found that one of the brake pistons is just plain stuck. So it doesn't even want to come out after he had pushed both pistons back in and had to press against the other piston while pumping the brakes to get it to move out. He said he cleaned it with rubbing alcohol. It's still very sticky. Uh, I don't have, he doesn't have Shimano mineral oil on hand. Is there any other way to lube it or does he have to go hunting for some mineral oil? Uh, Zach, I feel like this is something that's certainly, certainly not uncommon around here, just given how dusty our environment is around here. What do you do for a piston that's really, really stuck? I mean, do you have to actually take apart the caliper? I mean, you, some calipers you can, but I would probably advise against taking apart the caliper, particularly if it's a Shimano one because they don't sell parts. But he said he pushed both pistons back in. So if you push both of them, that leads me to believe that it's not fully stuck unless he's pushed one in and the other is just not moved, but he said both. So one, one trick that a lot of people do, um, those brakes may, well, depending on where you got it from, those brakes may have come with a bleed block that you can fit in between the pistons when you pull the pads out. Uh, and what a lot of people do is they'll take a file, um, or like, you know, maybe like a Dremel or something like that. And they'll kind of carve out a pocket in that, uh, in that bleed block so that it, braces one side or like it, it'll selectively it'll selectively block pistons so that you can isolate the one that you're trying to unstick without it the stuck one like shooting out fully. correct right without it coming without letting it come out too far so at that point if you have one of those bleed block if you have one of those bleed blocks and you can modify it so that you can isolate that one sticky piston you should be able to get a lot more movement into that piston than it, and then you can get in there with like a Q-tip with some rubbing alcohol and that sort of thing, like really, really clean it up. I've, I've sprayed rubbing alcohol in there and like, you know, blasted it with an air gun, that sort of thing. Um, actually just had this issue the other day that hopefully I think I've resolved. But uh, but that's certainly something you can do. And then as far as lubing it with mineral oil, I mean, it, it is ideal to lube that piston O-ring with whatever fluid is inside the caliper. But Zach, have you had any success with anything else? Not really. I mean, I would say particularly if it's the one that's causing an issue, like I would do it the right way and use the correct mineral oil. Um, like in a pinch, I would say, sure, just clean it with some alcohol, but I would definitely use the mineral oil on there. But usually at least, at least if it's clean, then it should lube itself from the inside anyway, yeah. once everything's yeah. all cleaned up. For sure. So Moritz, I would try that bleed block, uh, trick. You should be able to find some, some videos of that online. Uh, just not really sure what you would Google for that sticky, sticky bike. Yeah. Just like piston. Google cutting a Shimano bleed block in half or something. Yeah, It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> it basically just involves a file typically. So uh, good luck with that one. We'll follow up with you on the Velo Club Slack channel. All right, next question. This one comes from Mark Lenny. Uh, Mark's got a specialized diverge with a SRAM mullet drivetrain with rival up front and eagle out back. Rear derailleur is a SRAM GX eagle axis, while their cassette is a 1150NX eagle. Uh, it slips onto a spline Shimano HG Freeha body. Got a DT, he's got a DT Swiss 370 hub with 18-tooth star ratchets. Question is, when it comes time to renew the cassette, or to replace the cassette, should he consider 
Converting the hub to a SRAM XDR-free hub and stepping up for a level or two from the NX cassette uh, to get that 10-tooth smallest cog, um, maybe save a little bit of weight. And are there any other, are there any other benefits to doing such a thing, uh, such as longer life, smoother gear changes, etc.? Also, does an XDR-free hub have any inherent advantages over a Shimano HG-free hub other than the ability to have a 10-tooth gear? Anyone want to grab this one? I mean, I would say it just depends on like what his needs are for gearing. Like if he wants, if he's totally fine with the 11, then like why spend more money unless you want to save weight? Because that that cassette in particular is really, really heavy um, compared to an XDR one. Um, But if he's like riding down hills and he's like, oh, I wish I had a harder gear, but he doesn't want to lose out on the low end by putting a bigger chainring on, then yeah, I would for sure go to the the 10. Right, because one issue here is that the upgrade that he's talking about was not particularly inexpensive. I mean, granted, he's talking about doing this stuff when that cassette is worn out, so he's going to have to buy a new cassette anyway. Right. Um, and then, then probably an extra 100 bucks for a free hub body or something. Yeah, well, I don't remember exactly what DT Swiss is charging for those free hub bodies, and he does at least have a 370 with a proper star ratchet on there. So uh, I think he might have to get that star that that ratchet LN, is free hub body. Say again? I think the 370s are three Paul. Well, no, they they have a star ratchet version too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, sorry, I, I can't remember exactly which free hub body he would need for that specific hub, but uh, I, I'm pretty positive that they do offer an XDR version. Uh, one thing that uh, one thing that you could consider, Mark, is also um, upgrading the the ratchets that are in your hub. Right, so if you're okay with the current gearing, um, yes, that that current cassette is pretty heavy. I mean, it's there's a lot of steel in that cassette for sure, um, but that 18 tooth ratchet is fairly slow to engage uh, in technical riding if you're if you're doing that sort of thing on your gravel bike. Um, it's got a 20 degree engagement speed, which is pretty slow. Um, but if that if that doesn't bother you, then just leave it as is. Um, like Zach mentioned, if the gearing doesn't bother you and you're okay with the weight, then just get another NX. It would be a lot cheaper. But um, I looked up the bike that he has and he does only have a 40 tooth chain ring on there. So a 4011 is, like, even with a bigger gravel tire, it's not a very big gear. Um, but again... I don't know. I don't really spin out all that often on my gravel bike. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on like where you're riding and how strong you are. Like I, like for Steamboat, Ruth, we put the, the Mullet Eagle stuff on her bike, but also did a 46 up front so that you have more high end compared to the Explorer gearing, which has a 44 cassette. And just to like maintain a similar low end, but having much more high end. So, but it's very dependent on where you ride and how strong you are. So. Like I would think a 40 tooth chainring with a 50 cassette, like that's insanely low. But if you're doing bikepacking or going up really steep climbs all the time, then it's great. So that would be another option instead of doing the cassette and free hub body to go to a harder gear. If you don't necessarily use that 40, 50 very often, you could do a 42 or even a 44 chainring. So you do have lots of options here, Mark. Uh, well, unfortunately, we can't give you just a definitive answer because it really, again, kind of depends. But uh, hopefully we, we've at least given you a little bit more information here. Oh, Ronan, go ahead. You get something to add here. No, I just wanted to say that due to a Wi-Fi dropout here, I completely missed the question. But the first half of James and Zach there figuring out the answer was exactly why this is called Nerd Alert. (laughs) 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 I just came back in and there was all sorts of numbers flying and talks of different hubs. And yeah, I was was like, what was this question? (laughs) I I think it all comes down to whether you want a bigger gear or not. It's it's as it's simple yeah. as that. But like the weight, I mean, the weight is significant. It's probably a quarter pound plus, hundred plus grams. Yeah, I mean those those, those cassettes, cassettes are heavy. super super heavy, and you could really like heavy. so you could go up to a GX GX one, which would save a bit, or you could do the nicer like the XO level cassette, and that would save a ton of weight. But if I'm running a forty tooth chainring up front and I'm spending almost any time on pavement, I probably want a ten. Yeah, but that's for sure. Yeah, a forty eleven is not a very big big gear so anyway mark let us know which way you end up going and let us know how you like your decision um next question comes from dion o'neill dion is replacing an aluminum seat post in his titanium frame with a carbon one uh he's assuming that they need to clean out the old grease and use carbon paste to secure the new seat post uh dion was thinking that some degreaser applied into the seat tube with the frame upside down, maybe with a bottle brush and then a good rinse out and lengthy dry while remaining upside down should be enough. But do we have any other tips or suggestions for how you should clean out all that old grease? I mean, I would say, so like in my titanium frame with aluminum seat post, I use tie prep 
um, like anises in the C post because I have seen them get stuck. Um, but if he's used grease, carbon paste is essentially just grease with little plastic beads in it. So I wouldn't be like too stressed about just adding carbon paste to that. You're not going to contaminate the carbon paste by there being normal grease in there. Unless it, if it's super disgusting, then yeah, I would like stick a rag down and try and clean out as much as you can, but I wouldn't be too stressed. But you're saying that he doesn't need, need he doesn't necessarily need to have it like surgically clean or anything. No, because like, like I mean, carbon paste is just grease with little plastic balls in it. What kind of grease is it? It's just some sort of waterproof something grease, probably. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Like it's hmm. not like this special carbon friendly like solution that holds the little plastic balls. It's just it's essentially just grease. <laughs> you're saying it's not magic. It's not magic. No. Hmm. Why do they charge so much for it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just right. like put sand in grease and get the same thing? I mean, I feel like the, uh, the know, problem is the plastic things, like when you look at like, if you just look at it, like from afar, it kind of feels and looks like sand in there. But the plastic, I think the idea is that it also squishes, like where sand isn't going to squish and it's just going to scratch everything and not be great. All right. Speaking of SRAM Eagle Axis, next question comes from Ron England. Uh, Ron is wondering if there's anything weird about the SRAM Eagle Axis B-Tension screw because the last couple of times he's taken his derailleur off for traveling or checking the hangar. So when he's reinstalled that derailleur back on his frame, he's needed to adjust the B-Tension screw by about, well, a lot, like 10 millimeters, talking about the, the actual gap between the upper jockey wheel and the cassette. So he doesn't really understand how taking it on and off does this. What is happening here? Did, did we determine whether Ron England is the alter ego of Rob English? <laughs> we did not. We did not. So this is a repeat quest, a repeat customer for for Nerd Alert Aston Mechanic. So we did not determine. I will have to ask him this time. I'll, I'll try to remember. I, I remain convinced that this is the case. <laughs> Zach, what do you, what do you have the to question. say here? Um, I, so I would say first, in terms of those beast limit screws, I have seen them slowly loosen over time, which is usually fixed with some Loctite, but that would not be what's happening here with taking the derailleur off and then putting it back on. But I would say sometimes with these derailleurs, when you tighten the, it's a five millimeter, when you tighten the, like the derailleur bolt that holds it onto the hanger, sometimes, not all of them, but sometimes when you tighten that, it'll kind of rotate the little tab on the back that goes against the hanger. So then you're pushing that, you're like, oh, I have to adjust the B-tension screw, but the little tab on the derailleur isn't actually touching against the tab on the derailleur hanger. So you're just like constantly, that, that point is moving. So I would just, when you tighten the derailleur onto the frame, make sure that the tab on the hanger or on the derailleur is against the tab on the hanger. If right, that so makes sense. So basically like what Zach is saying is... It's very easy to show in person, but right. kind of hard <laughs> but, to explain. But the little plate that the B-tension screw is screwed into on a SRAM uh, Eagle Axis rear derailleur, it's not really rigidly, or it's not really like firmly attached it just floats to around. that knuckle like it would be on a Shimano one. It like Again, yeah, it does just kind of like freely spin around. So if you're not careful that the, that plate is kind of seated exactly where it's supposed to be when you install that derailleur, then what Zach is saying is, yeah, that, that, that screw could essentially seem like it's moving, but really it's just the plate that's not fully seated. And sometimes too, I would say on those, the basically how it's all held together is a really, really, really tiny C-clip. Um, and sometimes those come off and then it's all, there's like a little wavy spring in there that pushes it all out. But basically sometimes that C-clip will get in like messed up with the threads and then that also makes this happen. Um, so I would just make sure that's all together properly. Okay. So Ron or Rob, guess, depending on who you really are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that answers your question, but let us know. But I would say like if the B-tension is set up perfectly and then you take the derailleur off and you put the derailleur back on something other than the B-tension screw is wrong. Like the B-tension shouldn't change by just taking the derailleur on and off. So something else is going on. But okay, Ron or Rob, you can't fool us. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if this solved your problem. Hopefully it did. Hopefully it solved, some, hopefully it solved this mysterious issue for some other people as well. Um, that is our last official Velo Club Slack Ask a Mechanic question. However, I am curious... What questions Kaylee and Ronan were sending over to Zach earlier this morning before we started recording? So, so Kaylee, I want to start with you. What, what were you asking uh, Zach today? Because Zach is no longer your personal mechanic, unfortunately. He's not. He's not. He's been fully replaced by Nick at Mountain Bike Specialists. Shout out to Nick. You're but he's still Zach. texting me, not Nick. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Sorry, Nick. I don't know if I don't know if Nick and I 
We're not, uh, we don't have that level of relationship. I don't, we don't, I don't know if we have that level of, of can I just te- can I just text him for free mechanic advice? Like I still feel like I need to pay Nick, whereas I don't need to pay Zach for anything, right? That's I don't need to, don't need to do That's that. Fine. <laughs> no, my question this morning. Okay, so my question as my, as my questions often are when I text Zach is, Zach, did I just break something? Well, uh, we can just read it. Let's <laughs> let's find it. <laughs> Hold on. And the answer in this case was probably. So, is it possible to break the little bladder thingy in a Shimano MTV reservoir? Because I think I just did. Just pushing pistons back in to replace pads for the first time in ages. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my question. Is like there's a, there's essentially like a little bladder end to the reservoir of a Shimano mountain bike brake. Uh, and pads were cr- super worn, like super worn. I hadn't ridden this bike in a while. And last time I rode it, uh, brake pads didn't exist in, in earth. And so I didn't have any, uh, so I was just riding them into the ground basically. Anyway, I finally <laughs> had to replace the pads in, in order to get new pads in. I had to get the p- pistons back where they were like originally supposed to be. Uh, and apparently, apparently this bike, like the reservoir was topped up or it was bled with the pads not where they were worn. originally supposed to be. Yeah. So if you basically yeah, with the pads it, yeah. worn basically. And I don't think I did this. Uh, I'm going to blame. Are I you going to go ahead and throw Nick under the bus here? <laughs> it's definitely not Nick's fault. Uh, no, no, no. This is this would have been this was a bike that came from another title at some point. And so I'm going to blame. Mm, I don't know who's another tech editor we could just blame out of. I have no idea where it came from. Doesn't matter. Matt Phillips. It's definitely Matt Phillips' fault. I was going to say, uh, if you wanted to blame Matt Phillips, that, that would be very convenient because Matt is local to you now. He is. He can, he can fight me in the streets. Uh, anyway, so what happened was the piston, like the, the, the reservoir had been filled with the pads worn. And so when I pushed the pistons all the way back to the sort of like fully original spot, essentially there wasn't enough room in the system. And I just, I think, burst the bladder. Like I didn't even push it particularly hard. I just sort of stuck the spreader thingy in there and dunk and then i heard it and now it's leaking (laughs) and so my question was first and foremost is it possible to break that thing by just pushing it on it with the little like pad spreader and the answer to that from zach was yes uh and then second was can i just keep riding it because it seems to be working (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's the question for all of you. Can I just keep riding it? Because it, for now, seems to be working. And I don't really feel like putting another lever on there and having to bleed the whole brake again. I, I mean, theoretically, you could keep riding it if you kept that bike upright and didn't lose too much fluid with it sloshing around like that. I mean, because the, what the whole I, point of the... What if I just covered it in tape? What if I just like stick some electrical no. tape on the end there? No. no? Yep. No. Great. Hot Dialed. Uh... <laughs> JB Weld. <laughs> give me an new, give me new rubber bladder for you, Kaylee. New rubber <laughs> bladder for so, you. Uh, but they don't sell you. them. I feel like we've talked about it. No, you have to buy a whole new lever. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we've talked about this before in some other question, and Kaylee surely wasn't paying attention. But basically, like in <laughs> on a Shimano break, unless you're 100% positive that it was bled with the correct bleed block and everything in there, if the system is overfilled and you just push the pistons back, basically you can mess the lever up by because it's overfilled and there's too much pressure. So it, theoretically, like in an ideal world, it's perfectly filled and you can just push the pistons back. But if you're not sure, it's best to undo the bleed screw, put the little funnel with some oil on the top, push the pistons back in how they're supposed to be, and then continue doing it without, and then take the the funnel off the lever and everything. Right. And but, if you're Dave Rome, what you, the, the, the little funnel that you screw in there is your custom machine aluminum funnel. Yes. Because the plastic one from Shimano is not good enough. Right. It, somehow it doesn't hold oil as well as the machine delivery. I would one. say I prefer the plastic ones though, because you can, they're like kind of translucent. You can see how much oil is in there. I wish they were like really translucent ones. Because the one that metal like, one, you can't see it all. Well, then clearly that, that metal one needs to have like a co molded little clear window or something in there, doesn't it? Don't get, give Dave any ideas. Hmm. The best, the best part of this, the best part of this is I literally bought the cup and the oil from Nick yesterday. So he's going to listen to this episode and be like, God damn it, Kaylee, if you just brought it in, now you wouldn't have to replace this lever that you had, that you went and tried to fix by yourself and failed and broke. Wah, so that's, wah. yep. Wah, Kaylee wah. has learned his lesson. I have learned my lesson. Maybe. We'll see. So, so I can't keep riding it. I can't, it, you know. I mean, if I feel like if it, it's you. So I feel like <laughs> if the lever seems to function, go for it. But like, 
if you crash because your brake pulls to the bar, then like it's it's I, fine. It's just you. I have a whole <laughs> other brake. Just I have just a front your, one. Yeah, just stick yeah. your foot out. Fred Flintstone it. You'll be fine. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I Nick, if you're we will this, find please out. Please order me order me an XT brake lever. That would be appreciated. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. All right. Well, Ronan, what was your question for Zach? This I don't morning? know that we can talk about Ronan's. Oh no, really? Well, let's just say. I was asking Zach to how asymmetric should an asymmetric frame be and to critique <laughs> oh, to critique my method for question. for finding the center of an asymmetric yeah. frame. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bite yeah. for review. Yeah, Ronan, yes. this is this is something that you and I were talking about the other evening. Mm. Does this bike not exist yet? No, no it, it exists. exists. No, it's in production. No, it exists. Huh. It's, it's very, it's it's very expensive. It got, I can't remember it was second or third of the tour. Oh, I, I don't remember now. But it, it is a it is a I don't very, remember where this rider placed. It's a very expensive bike, but. and we are trying to determine the source exactly of why Ronan's pedals or cranks on this bike seem to be what did we say were like nine mils off center from the center line of the bike? Is that what we determined? I'm I'm reluctant to commit to an exact measurement because my measurement may not be one hundred percent precise, but. It's so it's uh, hold on, but how, but how do you but how are you accounting for like the 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 eight or nine millimeters of lateral float in your speed play pedals? I know I was just gonna what? say like to bring it full circle. <laughs> it is a feature that is meant to be there. It accounts for that. Well, so based off of the uh, hate that we that we've just gotten, we know it's Italian. We know it's Italian because second and third were both Italian bikes. Oh right. Mm, I forgot about this. Yep. It's yeah. either a Pinarello or a Colnago. <laughs> that we're talking and about anybody and only one, one, of, only one of those is asymmetric is known for being asymmetrical <laughs> on purpose <laughs> well to, to be to be very clear we have not made firm conclusions on this yet so don't don't really no no need to no need to, to jump to any i told him to try a different brand crank set to yes. rule it out that sound that sounds like a good way to go um i think we also need to uh, yeah, because Ronan, I believe you said like it's not just the pedals that are off because that that would kind of there's a whole crank. That, yeah, that would so bring up the, like that would bring up the possibility the crank of spindle length. has the wrong spacers, or the mold in Asia is very wrong, like drastically wrong. Like something would have to be really, really dramatically wrong. But it really just kind of sounds like something was improperly installed as far as the crank set goes. We can only hope. Maybe which maybe just- which was my initial thought, but given given that it's only a two mil spacer that goes on to right, that's not going to count the, for. Yeah, it, it it's not that big a difference. Like this is this is such a big difference that on one of the early rides in this bike, I stopped at the local bike shop and asked him, "Are these cranks offset? Is that intentional? <laughs> is that a design <laughs> feature? Am I going crazy?" Uh, and yeah, I eventually just had to like figure out was I going crazy or or is this actually a thing? So All right. I, and. You know, it could be could be the case that I am going crazy, and this is also a thing. Um, well, uh, when, way I'll find if out. there's anyone that's going to feel this, though, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. when, when this when this review eventually goes live, and as we have now very firmly determined, uh, Ronan is quite thorough. Uh, if this review, if and when this review goes live, and I shouldn't say if, but when this review goes live, and there is mention of something being oddly, uh, unusually asymmetric in the crank set, then. You'll know what bike we were talking about here, and if there was no mention of it, then Ronan figured out the issue, and maybe there was just like an incorrect crank arm installed or something. But keep us posted, Ronan. This is a, a an interesting mystery. Maybe it just melted. Maybe, maybe. Like Seems the unlikely. fenders in the face of the godlike dribbling of Adama Traore. <laughs> that was a very obscure <laughs> reference, Kaylee. All right, that will wrap up this segment of Ask a Mechanic. However. If you have noticed now, unlike the regular Cycling Tips Weekly Pod, we have no ads in the Nerd Alert podcast. But because this is our podcast and we sort of do what we want here, we have decided that we are going to be running just very random ads from local businesses that are run or have some sort of association with Velcro Club members. So this week's Nerd Alert podcast is brought to you by Vela Club member Russ Bainbridge, better known as Donut Endurance. 
and the nerds over at HRS Systems out of Petersburg, Tennessee, makers of the Hydraulic Analyzer of Sprinkler System, or Haas, H-A-S-S. If you're a fire protection nerd, Haas is for you. Family-owned and operated HRS Systems has been a pioneer in hydraulic calculation and design solutions for over 45 years. That's almost older than me. And continues to lead the industry in accuracy, reliability, and simplicity. Whether you're a sprinkler designer, fire protection engineer, or AHJ, I don't know what an AHJ is, but if you are an AHJ, you probably know what that is. Uh, the new Haas 2023 has features that are going to help you save time, get your designs approved faster than ever, and cut costs with its optimizer tool, AutoCAD integration, and system builder feature. Happy customers in 50 countries worldwide. It doesn't matter where you're located. Haas can help you be a fire protection nerd. Check out Haas 2023 at hrsystems.com to see how you can transform your hydraulic calculations and fire sprinkler designs. HRS Systems, providing accuracy you can trust since 1976. I feel like it's Haas. Haas has two A's. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he... Like the CNC machine that sponsors the Formula One team. That's Haas, has two A's. Uh, I think he... It sounds like Haas. Haas? Do you think it's... You oh, I actually... have to redo the whole ad. Oh, oh, maybe I do have to redo the whole ad because I think now that I know... Now that, I, uh, now that you mentioned that, I think he actually did send me a note that it's pronounced as one word, Haas, H-A-S. Hmm. Well, no, it, no. Sorry, Russ. This ad's did, free. You're not paying anything for it, so there is some. There might be some mistakes. <laughs> in I anyway. I googled. I googled AHJ while you were talking, and it is. It stands for authorities having jurisdiction, which is just really strange grammar, and I don't really like it. Uh, but hmm. if you are an authority having jurisdiction, I think that we have just found the precise product Sprinkler to solve thing. all of your problems. Okay. Well, um, I'm assuming that I'm assuming that HRS Systems does not provide their services for free. We do not have a discount code or anything for you as a Cycling Tips listener, because again, this is an unofficial ad with no money exchanging hands. So, so be it. Anyway, that'll do it for real for this week's Nerd Alert episode. Thanks as always for listening. If you have not already left us a review and rating on iTunes, please go ahead and do so. Five stars only, please, please. Thanks for listening. Thanks for becoming a Velo Club member if you haven't already done so. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Wait, we're not doing the funky chicken? Mal, please leave that in there. Please, please. <laughs>